Okay. All right. So, remember, as we kind of, it is our upper room service, so we will be partaking in communion. Uh, remember, over the last couple months, we've actually gone back to real communion, so, but we still have, uh, if you look at the seats in front of you, uh, if you're more comfortable still with the individually packaged ones, we still have those uh, available for you. Uh, so remember, the first tab opens up to the wafer, the second tab opens up to the juice, so uh, just feel free to take communion however you feel uh, comfortable, so... Well, as a part of our upper room service, we keep the kids, if you remember, in the service. We keep them in here so that they can partake uh, in communion, uh, but also so they can kind of get the understanding of what it's all about. And that's really what our message uh, is going to be all about. I have to actually give credit uh, to my wife, Christy, because we were studying in our devotions 1 Corinthians, and when we got to the part on the Lord's Supper, she said, you know, we haven't had a message in a while about the meaning and what the Lord's Supper is and how we are to approach the table. And I said, great idea. So here it is, the message that she requested, because I always listen to my wife, right? There you go. So there you go. So, uh, but as part of that, we, I love to have the kids. I know there's not many kids here today, I was just noticing. So there are any kids that want to come up on stage, you're more than welcome to come up on stage for our normal upper room portion. Let's see who we get. I don't know who we're going to get. Let's see. And I know it's going to be, we'll see. Okay, 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 we got one. We got maybe, tra oh, tra oh, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Good. Yeah, I know. There we go. Yeah. You know me. You're good. All right, all right, welcome. Sure, have a seat. You guys can have a seat. That works. That works. Oh, we got some more. Oh, super, oh, she's got my superstars coming up, and she's got sunglasses. <laughs> All right. Here come, my, as I say, my show stealer. Here we go. All right. So thanks, guys, for coming up. You know you all get rewarded for... You guys can take all this if you want. No, 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 I'm just kidding. Your parents won't want you to. All right. So hold on, I know this is going to be maybe a little bit on the older kid age as we go through this, but you guys might know some of these things too as well. So I want to ask you, I'm going to show some things on screen, and I want you guys to tell us what those things help us remember about. Okay, so we'll see if you guys can get all these. If not, either way, you still get candy. No child left behind. All right? So... Either way is how it goes. All right, so here we go. We're going to put the first one up on the screen. So yes, you guys probably want to stand up so you can see it a little better. All right, so stand up. What does this help us remember? Did you even look at it? Oh, okay, because I thought you were looking at what? Um, our country's birthday, I guess. Our country's birthday. So when 4th of July comes around, we remember the day that we became free from those Brits, right? It's okay. No one watches us in London that I'm aware of. All right. So, ooh, a new showstopper. Come on up. There you go. All right. He's up here. You can go stay with, still go stay with your brother. All right. She heard candy, and she was like, I'm there. All right. Let's go. Next one. Let's see. This one's a little tougher. Let's see if you guys know what this one is. Next. Ooh, question. 
Anybody in the audience want to help them out? Veterans Day. September 11th? Nope. Veterans Day is November 11th. All right. One less candy. Just kidding. All right. Now we're going to go. Now we don't just have dates, right? We also kind of build things to help us remember people, certain events, and all these things. So let's see if you guys can recognize some of these. All right. Next one. Whoa. Yeah. What does that help you think about? Revolutionary War, okay. Or who it's named after? George Washing Machine. We'll take it. Here we go. All right, here we go. All right. Yeah, here we go. All right, next one, next one. Let's see here. Who does this one remind us of? Yeah. Abraham Lincoln. There you go. All right, next one. Ooh. Ooh. Stumping you on that one. It actually is a memorial, as you realize. Anybody know what's, where it is? The city? I was hoping if Kenzie would have we went and visited. So Ken, I was like, I was, but Kenzie went back to the kids. So this is the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, Missouri which helps a memorial for all the people who went out west. So, all those people. So, you can get in an elevator and go all the way to the top of it, overlook. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool thing to go and visit. So, all right, next one. Let's see. I think this is the last one. All right. Anybody know what this is a memorial for? You already said it. there you go. Anybody been there, 9-11? We went there last summer when we were visiting New York City. So, yeah, so it is a memorial to all those. So you go and you remember those who have perished uh, in the 9-11 attacks. So uh, very beautiful. I think that's that's the last one. I had a bunch. There's one more? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I should look at my notes. Good catch. All right. So as we think about remembering, can you think about a time when Jesus told us, to remember something. <laughs> what do you think? You say, yeah, what did you say, Trevor? What do you think of a time? You lost it? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, boy. The Bible. When in doubt, say the Bible. There you go. There it is. It's in the Bible. Very good. Remember, Jesus tells us to remember him in the bread and the cup. So as we go about, as we think about these dates and what we call to remember on those dates, as we look at monuments and what we call to remember on those monuments, we come and we look at the bread and the cup and we remember what Christ did for us on the cross, right? This is where you just nod your head and say, you're right. Close enough. All right, here we go. Great job. Give it up for the kids. You guys can get... Take three pieces. I'll give you... I'll give you three pieces. You can take three. One, two, three. Luke, you can take 12. No, I'm just kidding. Can we take our age? Take your age? Nice try. No. <laughs> All right, then we get your candy and go back to your seats. There you go. All right. Just, you can take it. It's like, kind of like trick or treat. Just take. 
You want that? There you go. All right. Congratulations. You guys can go back to your seats. All right. Okay, softball season is over, but I still need to keep my arm warm. Should I, should I dare? I do like how the back is missing. I don't have to chuck it all the way into the back there. Well, except for you guys. Anybody want anything? Here we go. Candy for all. There you go. All right. We almost made the playoffs. I'm just going to throw some. I'm not going to throw all of it. And I fell over to be in. Okay, that's that's a first. That is definitely a. Oh, now, now. <laughs> here you go. Here we go. So everybody apparently sits only on one side of the church over here. Here we go. I don't want to hurt it. Ooh. Don't say the church never gave you anything. <laughs> All right. All right. Let me, let me proceed here. Enough. No refunds. All right. Whew. So, today, as if you haven't already remember, as I told you, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper. We're going to be looking at, at how we are to approach this table. What Paul even talks about in the, in the section in 1 Corinthians is he is addressing a church who is getting it wrong. And they're messing up in their approach to the table, but also, I think, even in their gathering as a church, in their worship, as they are just messing up over and over again. So let's pray before we dive into our word for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a chance to gather in your name, to come before you with songs of praise, to worship you, Lord. We ask now that you would be with us as we open up your word, as we hear the words from 1 Corinthians the words that should challenge us and push us in our remembrance of your Son. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we have some important things to remember as we approach this. You know, we've been going through the book of Genesis as a church, and there's been times as we've gone through Genesis where we've seen God have, people have an encounter with God. And they have this encounter, and what they do is then they build a memorial. They build stones. They build an altar for them to remember this encounter that they've had with God. So then as they go through and as they point these things out, they can say, that's where God gave me this promise. This is where God did this for me. This is where I wrestled with God. And as they went through that over and over, they remembered all God had done for them. Well, Jesus tells us in the same way to remember him. But before we get to the church in Corinth, I want to give us a quick background to the Lord's Supper. Last week in our, our series in Genesis, Lance introduced us to an important person. We're up to Joseph. And if you remember, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers into the nation of Egypt. So over many trials, this is going to be kind of the, the quick thing here. So over many trials and things, he rises in power in the nation of Egypt. He realizes, he's told by God that, that there is a, a famine coming and that the nation needs to be ready for this famine. So he prepares them, brings food, he reunites with his family. His family comes to Egypt to settle, and they there grow from that point. 
They become into a, a great nation. And this great nation then begins to, to give fear to the Egyptians. That if they rise up, they might overthrow us. So they put them into slavery as a nation. Hundreds of years will go by. And then somebody is born by the name of Charles Heston. I mean, well, I mean Moses. So Moses is born. And then various plagues come upon them. Plagues to try and free the people from this slavery. Then they get to the last plague. A plague for the firstborn of child, of cattle, of livestock. That God was going to punish the nation of Egypt for these events. But for the nation of Israel, God provided a way of protection, a way of salvation for the firstborn. Moses told the Israelites then to, to stay in their homes. After they slaughtered the perfect lamb, and they painted the blood on the doorframe of their houses. But as I said, not just any lamb. A, a perfect lamb, an unblemished lamb, their best. Then when the angel of death would come over the city, it would pass over those houses. And that the firstborn would be saved through all this. They were also told to, to make hasty, be ready to leave quickly, to bake bread, but unleavened bread, so that it wouldn't have time to rise, so that they would leave quickly. And everything happened the way God said. And the Egyptians free them. And the men, they, the nation of Israel then goes off on their journey through the wilderness. But God is going to tell them to remember this moment. To remember on a yearly basis and to remember their Passover feast. The, the night when a lamb was slain for their salvation. Oh, we don't have time to cover all of the symbols within the Passover but now we fast forward all the way to Jesus. And as Jesus is approaching John the Baptist, John the Baptist will say these words. He says this in John 1, 29. It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the what? Behold the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. The Passover lamb who was sacrificed to save the firstborn son in Israel was a picture of the lamb who was to come in Jesus Christ. And again, we fast forward through the ministry of Jesus toward the end of his ministry. We come to the city of Jerusalem, where he and his disciples are gathering for what feast? The Passover. For the Passover feast to celebrate. And then in Luke Chapter 22, we get these words. Beginning in verse 7, it talks about them coming together and how Jesus had desired to have this Passover feast with his disciples. Remember, he tells them to go into the upper room to make preparations for this meal, that he has been waiting for this meal with them. And here he is going to teach about remembering him, about the bread and about the cup, the Lamb of God is about to go to the cross for the forgiveness of sins, for that those who believe in him will be passed over in the judgment of God. This remembrance would become a normal practice for the early church. But it wasn't just something that they would add on to the end of their service. They had a whole meal as they gathered together in what they called the love feast to remember Christ that evening. 
which brings us to our passage for today, which will be 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 34. And the outline for today is going to kind of look like this. Through verses 17 through kind of 22, we're going to see the corruption. What was going wrong with their gathering? Then we're going to see Paul talk about the true meaning, the real meaning, why they come together. Then we're going to see, beginning in verse 27, some consequences. What was going wrong, but what was now the effect of what was happening? And then again at the end, we're going to see, you know, the right approach to the table. How are we to come to this table that is before us in our remembering of Christ? So first, we have the corruption. Beginning in verse 17, Paul says this. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, that's some pretty harsh language I think we're getting from Paul right off the bat. He says, when you guys are coming together, it is actually not for the better, but it is for the worse. And this is actually a big change in his writing. If you look at the beginning of chapter 11 and verse 2, he commends them for their gathering. He says, now I commend you because of you remembering in everything and maintaining the traditions as I delivered them to you. And he gives them a small little section where he's going to commend them. Then he comes to this section, he says, but you know what? There's one area where I don't commend you. It is in your gathering and in your remembering. It's kind of like when your parents, you know, you get that good news, and you kind of have that bad news coming second, kind of, you know, water them up with some good news and say, well, but there's also this other thing that I want to bring to your attention. This church clearly has its struggles, and as you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you know how many struggles they had. So he's not commending them. He says it is better it is not for the better, but it is for the worse. Now remember, I mentioned earlier how this was kind of like, if you thought about it, kind of like a, they would gather for a church potluck. It's kind of the best way. And everybody loves the good old-fashioned church potluck, right? Everybody bringing their food together for a great meal. And this was supposed to be a time of remembrance. But Paul is telling them that as they gather, they are not bringing glory to Christ because what is happening in these potlucks, in these gatherings, in their meetings, is not what was intended. So we continue on into verse 18. It says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. So here in verse 18, he's going to identify the problem of what is happening here within their gatherings. It was a problem of divisions. Now, if you remember, if you know the book of 1 Corinthians, he's going to talk about divisions earlier in the book. Remember the famous section where people say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, and then some kind of stand up and say, but I am of Jesus Christ. But this is kind of a different division. They're not dividing themselves among their teachers. They're dividing themselves among the rich and the poor. And as they're coming together in this place of unity, They are causing divisions within their church body. This is a poor act, and this is not picturing what he has for them in the Lord's Supper. In verse 19, he says, For there are fractions among you, in order that those might be genuine among you may be recognized. Here's a good point he's pointing out in verse 19. He says, look, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the division, 
it's giving an opportunity for the genuine believers to rise up. So even in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this division, there are those in a church who maybe are saying, this is wrong. This is not the way it should be. It's kind of like that, that cream rising to the top, right? All the goodness, all these things happening, and it's an opportunity for those who are genuine in Christ to see that. And how many times do we see those who are strong in Christ in the midst of suffering and struggles stand up and say, let's turn to Christ. Let's look to Christ during these difficult times. And that's what Paul was thankful for. Even in the midst of division, there was a possibility for people to shine like Christ through this negative experience. And he continues. Verse 20, he says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now that phrase is important in this section. When you come together, he's going to use that over and over and over again. He's going to use it five times. He used it in verse 17. He used it in verse 18. He used it here in verse 20, and he's going to say it again in 33 and in 34. What I think Paul is doing here is reminding them of the purpose of why they're gathering, that they are coming together as a church. When you come together to remember Christ, but instead all he sees is not unity, but division. He even says they're deceiving themselves here. He says, you think you are coming together to remember Christ, but you are in no way honoring him. He says, it isn't impossible for you to honor Christ when you have these divisions. He says, instead, their coming together was useless and meaningless to Christ. And as I was reflecting on that, I was thinking back to the prophet Malachi. And if you know the last book in the Old Testament in chapter 1, Malachi through, God through Malachi is kind of calling out the priests. And he's calling them out because they're making poor sacrifices. They weren't bringing the best. They weren't bringing the perfect lamb for their sacrifices. Instead, he says these words. I'm going to jump around for this. He says, if I am a father, he says, where is my honor? He says, O priest who have despised my name. Then he asks a question, but the priests say, how have we despised your name? He says, you have polluted my altar. He says, you despise the Lord's table. You offer blind animals in sacrifice. Lame, sick, not your best. He goes on and says, oh, if somebody would just shut the doors to the temple. Don't even bring these sacrifices. Just close the door. It's not even worth you coming together if this is what you're going to do to me. He says, would your governor even accept these gifts? Would he come before you and say, oh, gee, thanks for the blind goat. I really appreciate it. And here they are bringing these sacrifices to God and thinking, here I am bringing you honor, bringing you praise with these lame and sick goats. Just shut the doors to the temple, God says. This did not bring honor to me. And in the same way here in the church in Corinth, as they are gathering together, are they really bringing honor and a remembrance to Christ in their gatherings? In verse 21, we get a deeper picture into what is happening here. It says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. First, we see that each one goes 
ahead with their own meal. They were selfish. Remember this potluck idea? It's like you bring a potluck meal to a dinner and you say, well, this crock pot is only for me. Ooh, that struck a nerve. People are like, no. Yeah, that's what's happening here. It's chili cook-off. When that comes up, no, this chili is only for me. I'm not sharing this with anybody else. So he says, look, some people then are, are going hungry. You're not coming together for the right purpose. Then he goes on and says, look, and one is getting drunk. Here, somebody getting wasted in this. One goes hungry. One drinks too much. But then you come together and try and bring unity to the table of Christ. How on earth can you remember anything if you can't even remember yourself when you're drunk? How are you supposed to come together and remember Christ? Here we have a church who is being selfish, thinking of themselves, hoarding their own food, and indulging in too much wine. But here they are, coming together and thinking that they are remembering Christ. Verse 22, Paul comes in and says, what? I love that simple start. He says, what? do you think you are doing when you come together? He says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? He says, you should just eat at home before you come. Stay at home maybe even before you come. He says, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? And this is where I think Paul comes to one of his, his main points in here, and he's talking about how they despise the church, despise the coming together, and they actually humiliate those who have nothing. You see, the church should be a place where all feel welcome, a place for those who are hurting, but instead here we have the rich looking down upon the poor, saying, no, no, this meal is only for me. This meal isn't for you. So instead of coming together and remembering Christ and all he's done, all they think about is themselves. What many believe was even happening here is that maybe some of the poor were, were some of the slaves within the city and that they had to work all day, and that they couldn't even arrive to the service on time. So that the rich would just eat up all the food, and then when the poor came in, they are like, well, it's all gone. Sorry, guys. Can we imagine how a church would be a witness for that today? And it reminded me back to Acts chapter 2, where it talks about how the church came together, selling all of their goods, giving to those in need, coming together daily for those who needed it and giving everything away and day by day remembering Christ. So the church in Corinth, I think, was far from this Acts chapter 2 church. And I think it is quite the challenge as we examine ourselves today. But then Paul closes this section with these words. He says in those same words, he says, What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul has nothing more to say to them. He says, you want me to give you thanks and congratulate you for the way you are remembering Christ? I don't think so. It's not happening. See, I was thinking through how to kind of sum this up and, and what to think about in this section, and all I kept coming to my mind was the idea this church was just going through its motions. They, they thought, okay, it's, it's time now. I'm going to go and remember Christ. But they were just going through the motions. They were showing up to church thinking they were doing something great. But they weren't really remembering Christ at all. Paul repeatedly calls them brothers. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, you have this wrong. They were showing up with the wrong heart toward their time of worship and remembering Christ. They were forgetting how they should be treating others. And then the question for us is, how do we approach this table? How do we approach Sunday mornings? Is it just kind of the, the check off on our box for a Sunday morning? I'm a, I say I'm a Christian, so I should be in church at 1030. You know, I got to leave my house at 1025. And then I get here just in time, and my heart is just ready for worship. Or does God look at that and say, if that's all you're doing, if all this is is a checks box for you, is your heart really in it? Are you coming to see friends and gather with one another? But instead, is that instead worthless where we should just shut the doors of the church if all we are is a country club of gathering friends instead of remembering and worshiping Christ? Do we come prepared to sing songs of praise? Do we come to hear from the word of God to encourage others? Maybe we're here because somebody walks through those doors broken and they need to hear words of encouragement. I just hope that as someone walks out these doors that they don't feel humiliated as those did in, in 1 Corinthians. You see, part of being prepared is not just for this church, but for this table in front of us. Understanding its true meaning. Understanding why we gather and why we remember Christ in this way. And that's what Paul does in the next section. He gets into the real meaning. Now, these are the words that we read every single time before communion. But even in reading this, did it just become routine? These are the words that we say. But Paul has a deep meaning, a remembrance of these things. And he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Now, we don't exactly know when Paul got this teaching from Christ, but apparently he got direct teaching from Christ at some point about these. Remember, he had the vision of Christ and his life transformation. Different things happened as he was going through these things. But he's saying, I have received these, and I delivered these teachings for you. He says, I've already told you this once. How many parents have already used that phrase to their kids, right? I've already told you this once. Why are you doing this? Or let's be real. I'm going to be honest. How many wives have said that to their husbands as well? That might get more response. I've already told you this once. He says, I have delivered this to you. He says, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed... What's cool is that the literal translation for this says, while he was being betrayed. The act was already set in motion. He was going to be betrayed and turned over to the Jewish leaders to be crucified. But Jesus here is going to give them one last teaching. He's going to say, remember me. So in verse 24, it says, Then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus takes the bread that is at the table. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread and says, This is my body. And now, depending upon your upbringing, you probably have different views upon that single phrase in which he says. If you have a Catholic background, you have the idea of this teaching of transubstantiation. This idea that it is literally becoming the body and the blood of Christ. That when the priest prays over it, something happens to this, and it literally transforms into the body of Jesus Christ. 
Or if you grew up maybe in a Lutheran church, they teach the idea of consubstantiation, meaning that the true body of Christ are, this is where it kind of gets a little confusing. It says it is in, with, and under all the elements of the table. And the teaching kind of goes like this. If you're thinking of that, and a good way to understand what they're teaching is think of a sponge and water. The water in the sponge doesn't become the sponge. It is still the water in the sponge. So all those different ways, those things of thinking through what this bread in the cup means. Is this literally becoming the body of Christ? Is he somehow in, present, under, with all these elements? Or as we teach here at Faith Fellowship Church, as we thought about even in the beginning, is, is this what Jesus is saying is memorial? That this is a memorial that we are to remember him with. And as we look at the bread and the cup, we remember his sacrifice. We reflect on all that he has done for us. And we come into his presence and we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you did for us upon that cross. He was the perfect lamb to die for the forgiveness of sins for the people. And then in verse 25, he continues on. He says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He says, do this as often as you drink it. Again, in remembrance of me. A covenant is something that we're familiar with, right? We've been hearing all about these as we go through the book of Genesis. God makes a covenant with Abraham and with Moses, and all these various things, these promises that he makes. But we realize that all this, all the Old Testament, was to point to Christ, and that following the law wasn't enough, that the law just pointed out that we needed something more. And in Jeremiah 31, he's going to teach us about this new covenant. And as he goes through these things, he says, a day is coming when I will make a new covenant with my people. He says, that I will remember their sins no more. I will bring them forgiveness of sins. At the end it says, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. We're going to have a new heart. We're going to have forgiveness of sins that only comes through the washing of the blood. We're told in Hebrews that blood must be spilled for forgiveness, and it will be Christ's blood that brings forgiveness. We don't have time to cover it as much, but we also read Hebrews chapter 8, where the writer there quotes from this scripture in Jeremiah, bringing this idea of this new covenant, of the washing of the blood in Jesus Christ. So, in verse 26 then, he says, For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, here's one great thing about as we celebrate communion. It's not just looking upon his remembrance on the cross, but it is a reminder that he's coming again. Every time we partake in this, we remember Jesus is coming again. And there will be a point where we stop to do this because he is with us in person. So then we move on to some negative situations here, the consequences for what happens when approaching this table in an unworthy manner. In verse 27, it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. There is a sin in approaching the table wrong and coming before him and not reflecting on the true meaning of this table. This cannot happen within our lives. We cannot be in a careless, irrelevant behavior before him. 
They were claiming identity. They were claiming unity and remembering, but all they did was divide and think about themselves and humiliate others. Maybe as Malachi said, they should just shut the doors to their church. It says, let a person examine himself and then eat the bread in the cup. And I'll come back to this in a little bit because it really connects better with our last section about how we are to approach this table. So I'll move on to the verse 29. It says, whoever eats and drinks without discerning drinks judgment upon himself. He says, that's why some are weak, ill, and some have even died. See, what we know is this. We know that God disciplines those he cares about. He disciplines his children in a way to bring them back to him. And in this way, some have fallen sick. Some have fallen ill. And I know the last phrase is a hard one to concept. Some have even died. I don't have all the answers for that. But apparently people he has even, people have been struck down because of their unworthy approach. We see that in the Old Testament a few times. A priest coming in with the wrong sacrifice would be struck down. That's why they would tie a, a little rope around their ankles so they could pull them out of the Holy of Holies if they came up and approached him in an unworthy manner. So with the table before us, we figure out, okay, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to die. How do we approach this table? Well, as I said, I think it really begins in verse 28 where we examine ourselves. In verse 31, he's going to talk about judging ourselves so that we are not going to be judged by the Lord. We need to check our hearts. We need to see, is our approach worthy of Christ? As we are examining ourselves, one thing we're not doing is judging others because we're examining ourselves. We're thinking about, am I, am I causing division? Am I causing hurts? Am I humiliating people at church? Am I considering myself better than others? As we think through these questions, we see the sin that is in our lives, and we realize that we are unworthy to approach this table. We are unworthy to come before this, and the only way we come before this is because of what Christ did for us on the cross. So we confess our sins. We repent and this leads us to a place of praise and worship as we come to this table and we remember what he's done for us. Without this examination, the table and the church become nothing more than just a ritual. We take the bread and we take the cup and we say we've remembered Christ. But if we examine ourselves, we realize our sin, we realize why Christ had to come and die for us, then we come to this and say, thank the Lord. Thank you, God, for all you did for me. And when we get to that place, that's when this place moves. That's when his people come together in a place of unity, and that is power in remembering Christ. So he then closes in verse 33 and 34, and he tells them, look, he says, wait for one another. Don't go and eat ahead of other people. He says, if you're hungry before you come, he says, eat at home. It says, when you come together, then let it not be for judgment, but let it be for unity. Remember the poor. Remember those who maybe arrive late. Feed them, care for them. Then he uses that phrase again, when you come together. So we examine ourselves. We judge ourselves. We care for others so that we don't come under judgment from the Lord. 
Worship team, you can make your way back to the stage as we prepare our hearts for a time of communion. You see, this is what remembrance is all about. This is where we should be, humbly approaching the table in remembrance of him, in remembrance of the body that was upon the cross, in remembrance of the blood that was spilled upon that cross. And we say, I am unworthy, but because of that sacrifice, I can approach this table in a worthy manner because of Christ, because of that Lamb of God who came and was sacrificed for all. So, as we approach this table, I want you to examine yourself, reflect on your lives, realize the sin that is in your lives, and confess that sin before us. I encourage you to pray now silently to yourselves and reflect and examine yourselves as we approach this table.